Romans chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you tonight, please, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Romans chapter 8. If you will pick up with me, we're going to start in verse 12 tonight. Let's read through verse 17. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Remember, Paul is writing a letter, a letter to the church in Rome. And even though we are taking um, a a time to go through this and breaking this up each time, Paul didn't. He didn't take a break here and there. He was dictating this through. And when we come to this point, it says, so then, brethren, that is tying directly to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago and the few weeks preceding that in in chapters six, seven, and primarily in eight. Chapter eight starts out with, if you'll look with me there in verse one, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all those who are in Christ Jesus said, Amen. amen. There's no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, if you are a born-again believer here tonight, there's no condemnation for you. No, none, never. None for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Talking in, the, in these chapters 6, 7, and 8, talking again about sanctification. Justification being declared righteous in front of a holy God, but sanctification, how that works itself out in our lives now. And we've talked about this, that sanctification simply can be placed Christ in us. It is not us imitating Jesus. It is his life manifest through us. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that is the truth for every believer. And Paul is saying that there's not only no condemnation for us, but there is victory in our lives as we walk through this. We're no longer bound to sin and death. We're no longer obligated to follow those things in our flesh. And we were introduced a couple of weeks ago about this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And that is where Paul then picks up because as we looked at the last time in verses 5 through 11, that those who are in the spirit no longer follow after the flesh. There is still, we still have this traitor within us, but we now have the power within us, the Holy Spirit living in us, Christ in us, that we no longer are under obligation, as it tells us in verse 12, to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. And why would we? Why would we want to be under obligation and give back to the flesh that which tried to kill us in the first place? No longer in debt, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Chapter 6 talked about, again, we are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
and we now can walk in the newness of life. We are dead to sin, he said, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're no longer in debt to the flesh, but we're not out of the woods completely. We've talked about that. We're no longer in the flesh, but that does not mean that we no longer have contact with the flesh or are influenced by the flesh. And that's why verse 13 is so important. We're not under obligation to the flesh as born-again believers, but notice there's a, this verse uses this if-then statement, if you would, the first-class conditional if twice in verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is uh, two opposing sides here again, the flesh and the Spirit. Paul said in Galatians chapter five, for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. The two opposing sides. Again, still in us, even as born again believers, we have to, we have to understand that. We still have this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. Two opposing sides. Now, when we break this down just a little bit, notice first, if you are living according to the flesh, living, that word, that verb there is in the present active state. That means ongoing lifestyle. If you are living actively according to the flesh, according to our sinful desires that are our fleshly desires, our worldly desires, notice what he says. If you are, if that is the pattern of your life, Notice what it says, you must die. And you have a choice. You have a choice, you can die to sin or you can die in your sin. We talked about this back in chapter six. As born again believers, we are dead to sin. We are a new creation in Christ, we die. That is the whole, again, baptism signifies that. Our old self, dead dead to sin, buried there, and then risen again, a new creation in Christ. But Jesus said in John chapter eight, verses 21 to 24, if you do not receive him as Lord and Savior, you will die in your sin. And if you die in your sin, that is where you will spend an eternity separated from the love of God, facing the wrath of God forever in hell. The choice is yours. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. You can die to sin or die in your sin. Now, I want to address those because I would imagine if I went around the room, most of us, if not all of us, would say, you know what? I am a believer in Jesus. I am born again. If you are a born again believer here in Jesus tonight, there should be evidence. There must be evidence in your life of that birth. James in chapter two of his letter, he says in verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? And that is a very important question because if you profess a faith in Jesus yet there is no evidence of it in your life whatsoever, your life is just like anybody else in the world, there's no, there's no desire in your life to grow closer to the Lord, there's no desire in your life to understand what his word says, there's no desire to follow after him, you need to seriously question your profession. Paul, or I'm sorry, James speaks in 2.14 of a dead faith that is demonstrated with words alone. 
It's, it's, it's not a living faith, and that faith can't save you. He's asked the question if it can, but the bottom line is, no, it can't. Titus, Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter one, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. Do your deeds profess God or deny him? Do they profess Jesus or do they deny him? He says they, they profess to know God, but their deeds deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. James goes on in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, you believe God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Here, here James is calling out a deceptive faith that is demonstrated in, in wisdom. That it says, you know what? I know a lot of things about God. I, I know and I, I even believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he, that he came and he lived this perfect life. I believe those things. I believe that God is one. I even believe in the Trinity. James says, congratulations, you're just like the demons. Up to this point, you're no different. Because they all believe it. They all know it. Many times, Jesus would approach, approach a demon-possessed person, and it tells us, they said, we know who you are, son of the Most High, and Jesus would have to tell them to be quiet. They knew exactly who he was. They're not saved. A deceptive faith. Galatians chapter 6 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, notice it's not what he knows, it's what he sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see, a faith that saves isn't demonstrated by words or by wisdom, it's demonstrated by our walk. It's demonstrated by the fruit in our lives as we walk this out. Does our, does our life match our profession? That's what Paul is getting right down to in chapter 13, or I'm sorry, verse 13. If, if you are living according to the flesh, we can't get away with that for very long. The truth of the matter is, God has totally ruined the born-again believer for this world. We cannot enjoy the, the things of the world and the things of the flesh. At the very least, you're going to be miserable as you try to chase after those things. How do I know? Because I was that guy. I know because I spent years of my life trying to do the dual thing. Trying to, trying to do the church thing on the weekend, yet on, during the week I was out living for partying and doing all that kind of stuff, and I was absolutely miserable. Miserable. I, I've shared this many times before. The most miserable person is not the one who doesn't know Jesus. The most miserable person is the one who knows Jesus, yet tries to be in the world. Because I had too much of God in me to enjoy the world and too much of the world in me to enjoy the relationship that, that, that the Lord desires to have with me. And if you're here tonight and that describes you, I plead with you tonight, make that right. Make that right. The Bible tells us that we should examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And Paul, again, puts it very clearly here. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. And I would encourage you tonight to die to sin. Do it tonight. But 
And I love that word right in the middle of verse 13, but if by, but if, I'm sorry, if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, notice, you will live. When I was, had this kind of written out earlier this week, I, I started into that part of the, the sentence, and I noticed, you notice here the who, what, where, when, why, and how, all there in this one statement. Who? You. You are. What? Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Where and when? That, ver- that putting to death is the present active, again, ongoing. Where and when? All the time, everywhere. Why? so that you'll live. But the how? By the Spirit. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Again, the Bible is clear what that is, and we know this. It says that that it's evident. Sexual immorality. Anything that is outside of the bounds of marriage, as the Bible defines it, between one man and one woman who are married, anything sexual, any type of sexual relationship outside of that is a deed of the flesh. It is sin. Anger, jealousy, strife, as Galatians chapter 5.19 tells us. All of those things, things of the flesh, evident. Drunkenness, partying, all of those types of things. Bottom line, idolatry is one of the things that's in that list. And that is, guys, making, any, making a God of anything other than the God of the Bible. Somehow changing what the word says, changing our view of of God and this type of thing to make him fit into what we desire, what we would want in our flesh, that needs to be put to death. The good news is this battle, it's a life and death battle, it's serious, it's got eternal implications, but notice this, Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. When we look at this, and we've talked of this over and over through this time in Romans, when we try to do this in our own flesh, in our own efforts, it's impossible. We fail again and again and again. But what is impossible in our flesh, in our own strength, is impossible in the Holy Spirit. Divinely powerful. Divinely powerful. Guys, this, this thing, once we grasp this, once we understand this, that it, it becomes, actually the whole process becomes divinely easy because it's no longer us. It's no longer us who live. It's no longer us who is fighting this. It is the Lord that is fighting this through us. The question is, are we going to let him? Are we going to allow the Holy Spirit of God to manifest the Son of God in our lives? Would you, would you turn with me, keep, Keep your finger here. We're going to come back. But turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. You can go all the way to the end if you want and then just come back a couple chapters. That's the easiest way to find it. 2 Peter chapter 1.
Paul, Peter writes here as he begins, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice to who the letter's written. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice first, who have received, it's a gift. Guys, faith is a gift. What have you done with it? Because it tells us here, it's a, it's a, the faith is a gift of the same kind as ours. When I think of that, and I think of guys like Peter, and I think of all of the other apostles that they're talking about, okay, he's saying that as a born-again believer, I have a faith the same kind as his. Why does mine look different, or why would it? They started thinking about it, you know, I have a bicep of the same kind as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why does it look different? Because <laughs> he's exercised his a whole lot more. Because he's, he's, he's allowed it to be put to the test more than mine. And we see that in Peter here. He tells us a faith that is the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God our Savior. Notice grace and peace be multiplied. I love that because that is how God gives out grace and peace. He doesn't add it. He multiplies it. To you in the knowledge of, of, of God and of Jesus Christ. And here we get to the point I want to make tonight, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who, by, who called us by his own glory and excellence. Guys, everything that we need to live a godly life, everything we need to live a life that completely honors God has been given to us already. It does not say his divine power will grant to you everything. It says has granted, past tense. Verse four, notice, for these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. That too has been granted so that you may become partakers of the divine nature. So everything's been given to us. All, of, all the tools that we need, everything that's needed is in us. His promises have been given to us, so if we have not become partakers of the divine nature, whose fault is that? Whose problem is that? That's us. He goes on to say, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. If we're struggling with the corruption of the world, it is because we have somehow stopped this process from taking place. It's not, not our own efforts Again, that's moralism. That can lead to legalism. It's not the Holy Spirit without our participation. It's not just to let go and let God. And by the way, it's not a 50-50 thing either. It's a 100%, 100% thing. It's 100% God working in and through us but it's 100% of us allowing that process to take place. That's what I tell people all the time when, it's, when it comes to a marriage. Marriage is not a 50-50 deal. It's a 100%, 100% deal. Both all in, both completely poured into the relationship. And when we look at this and we balance this, the responsibility and the dependency, guys, we are 100% responsible and 100% dependent. Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, 
but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for it, work it out. Again, same faith, it ha we have received, it's been given to us, work it out with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out what God works in. And as we continue to look through this in, in 2 Peter, and we're gonna, we're gonna kind of fly through this, but notice verse five, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply, and then he's gonna give us a list. Applying all diligence. Guys, that's maximum effort. That is 100% us being poured into this equation. But when, it, when I find it interesting, it says that we're to supply some things. Didn't we just read that everything's been given to us already? How do we supply, how do we add to what is already fully there? Well, again, as we see through this, 100% working through this, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. That word literally means something that properly fulfills its purpose, if you would. A shovel is to dig. A chair is to, to sit on. And it fulfills its purpose when it is used to dig, when it is used to sit on. And the thing, now when we take this into ourselves, it's living the way that we have the potential to live. And again, the, the purpose that God has, has for us to, to glorify him, to give him all honor and glory and praise. The problem comes when we get out of, when we get out of that sort when we try to get in and try to do our own thing in it. Causes a lot of pain. Causes a lot of discomfort. Causes a lot of frustration. Just like if you were going to sit on a shovel or dig with a chair. It's not going to be comfortable. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. We have to know what it is that God desires of us in order for us to fulfill that purpose. That is why it is so important, guys, that we're in the Word of God regularly, daily, reading it, studying it, praying through it, meditating on it. In your knowledge, self-control. Again, self-control is a, is a fruit of the Spirit that we allow the Spirit to work in and through us. We are to never allow anything or anyone to control us except our Master and Lord Jesus. Is there anything in your life that is mastering you? Anything in your life that is controlling you other than Jesus? In your self-control, perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, that, that idea of submission. Guys, don't ever give up in this. That's what the enemy would like you to do. Oh, you failed again. You blew it again. You may as well just give up. No, perseverance. I love the fact that perseverance follows self-control. In your perseverance, godliness. That is a right perspective of an attitude towards God. Motivated by love and a desire to please him in all that we think and we say and we do. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. That's a right perspective and attitude towards others. It needs to be cultivated. That, guys, we got to work at that. Because it's difficult. We need, to, we need to love each other and be kind to each other, but... The, the, the problem is not everybody's all that lovable, right? Well, there's, there's probably a few, not many, couple, three, that might say the th same about you, so that we gotta, we got to all work on that together. 
bearing one another's burdens, in your brotherly kindness, love. And again, that's that agape love, unconditional, undeserved, most often unreciprocated. Verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. I come to this, this section, and again, going through it really, really quickly. But guys, we have been given everything that we need for a life of godliness. Everything that is required of us has been given to us. Are we stopping it? Are we blocking it? And again, the, verse 13, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body and following after the Spirit, living for the Lord Jesus, you will live abundantly, eternally. Well, verse 14, back in Romans 8, verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Notice all, that means everyone, who are being led by the Spirit. That, that verb there is the present passive. The others were present active. That means that we were actively doing those things regularly ongoing. This is present passive, which means the Holy Spirit is the one who is active. We are simply following but again, continually, as part of a regular part of our life, following after the Spirit. Notice, if that is you, we are sons of God, now and forever. Sons of God. In verse, verse 2, it tells us that as, as sons of God, for the law of the Spirit of, in, in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Guys, as children of God, we are set free. Set free from fear. Set free from death. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, that might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Freed. No longer slaves to fear, but no longer Orphans, no longer out there on our own, fending for ourselves. Notice, again, the adoption as sons. And the interesting part, again, understanding adoption, especially then. I mean, it means the same today, but it doesn't always hold up that way. But back in the Roman Empire, if you were adopted into the family, that meant you were fully adopted. You received full rights and privileges as a natural-born child into that family. And guys, that is what it means for us to be children of God, fully adopted, full privileges. And he even goes to the point where we can go, Abba, Father, Abba. That is, if you ever go to Israel, you'll hear the little kids running around, Abba, Abba. That's like what we would call daddy, that tender relationship. 
And again, as we, as we work through this and, and coming to our Abba Father as children, as following after being led by the Spirit, no longer following after the, the flesh, but after the spirit. Again, we stumble. We're going to have issues. We're going to have problems in this. But the more we allow the Holy Spirit of God to manifest the Son of God in our lives, we will have victory. But guys, we're going to have those, we're going to have those areas. We're going to have those stumbling places. And to know that as children of God, we go to our daddy. We say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I blew it. Can you help me? As a daddy, I know how that question would be responded, coming to me and saying, Dad, I blew it. I messed up. doesn't matter what it would be. And that's the way it is with our Abba Father. Not just... Again, not just heirs that, you know, that some distant relative that, that you know, when, when the whole inheritance comes down, we get the cuckoo clock. No, full, the inheritance that we have. Co-heirs with Christ, it says. The inheritance that Peter describes as imperishable and undefiled that will not fade away, reserved and protected in heaven for us. I was drawn to, just in closing, as thinking on this again, as children of God adopted, John writes in 1 John chapter 3, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 1 tells us what we are as born-again believers. We are children of God. Children of God, not just pardoned criminals but adopted into the family of God, children of God. Verse 2 tells us what we will be. And though John kind of leaves it there, it doesn't give us a whole lot of details. It says when he appears, we will be like him. He doesn't let us know a whole lot about what is there because, guys, eye cannot see, mind cannot comprehend. It goes beyond anything that we could ever ask or wish for as to what God has in store for those who love him. It's amazing to me that, that, that God, and as a born-again believer, you know this, as it stirs in our heart, it actually, we got a minute. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Just a couple of pages over from where we are in Romans. Paul speaks of this, this mystery, and we looked at this a few weeks ago again, but just to, just to point it out again here, verse 9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen nor ear heard, which has not entered the heart of man, that all that God has prepared for those who love him, for, those, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, 
For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God. As born-again believers, we have that desire placed in us. That we, though we don't fully understand it, like it's, it's, it's dim as, as Paul, like looking through a mirror, like looking through glass dimly, but it's going to be revealed to us. But we have that desire, that yearning. And it's, I think it's interesting just kind of thinking through this this last couple of days that the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information about what it's going to be like other than it's just going to totally blow your mind. It's going to be way beyond anything that you can imagine or think. And I think that's interesting because all, all other religions, a lot, they, they, try to, they try to tell you what's there. And all it is is what we already have. All it is is, is other flesh stuff that, that we know can't fix it. I, you know, the, the Muslim terrorists, when they, when they go, the radical um, suicide bombers, they do that because they believe on the other side of that is 72 virgins for them. Solomon had a 1,000, and he wrote... And he wrote, this is crazy. This is, this is all empty. This is nothing. To promise more of what the flesh promises and can't deliver, the Bible tells us, guys, it's way beyond that. We were having a discussion on the way home last night, Christina and I and the kids, talking about, again, heaven and the rapture and, and all of those types of things. And it's, it, we can't quantify. We don't know what it's going to be. But I can tell you this. When you see it, you will never have wanted anything more in your entire life. It will be beyond anything that you could possibly imagine now. And that is ours because of our adoption as children of God. That's what we will be. That is promised to us. The Holy Spirit in us is a seal of that for us. And because of that, in verse 3, Paul or John writes, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Purifies himself, again, just as he is pure. I, it's, not, it's not me imitating again. I can't be as pure as Jesus. All I can do is allow his purity in and through my life. We started off this, this verse. It says, so brethren, we are under obligation. In verse 12, I th- I, Paul kind of takes an immediate turn off of it. It says, we're under obligation. And you think he's going to say what we're under obligation to, but he goes to what we're not under obligation to. But guys, bottom line, let me sum it up kind of what we're doing. We're under obligation to allow the Holy Spirit of God to manifest the Son of God in us. Because that is, that is what we have been purchased for. That is what we are under, under obligation to become more like him as we allow him to manifest himself through us. But then again, as we just looked, co-heirs with Christ, we get the blessing. We get to share his blessing in that. What kind of deal is that? 
Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would simply walk in them. Bible says that, that Paul, Paul writes, he's confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I guess the bottom line question is, are we going to let him? And as I mentioned earlier, the Bible tells us that we should all examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith. As we pray here in a moment, I'd, I'd like to challenge all of us to do that. And, if, 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 and we should be confident in our faith. And if we are, we're saying, okay, Lord, are there areas in my life that I am not allowing you to do what it is that you desire? And we surrender those things. and We continue to, to walk this out being led by the Spirit and all the promises that are ours and all of that. But if you're here tonight, and either, first of all, you've never, you've never given your life to Jesus. You know, you know right off you're not a born-again believer. Again, you have a choice. You right now are, are walking in the flesh. You have a choice. You, you're, you will die. You can die to sin tonight and be born again tonight. Or you can choose to die in your sin. And in that, you will face an eternity separated from the love of God, facing the wrath of God forever. And if you're here tonight and you can relate, you can say, man, I, I know exactly the life that I was describing earlier that was mine because you've been, you're kind of running this dual life, saying I'm a believer, coming to church, being involved in different Bible studies, maybe even coming to youth group. But you know that the life that you live outside, the life that you live at the office during the week, doesn't reflect what you profess with your mouth. You too tonight can have that all cleansed and washed away. And just like the prodigal son, the, the, the father is just waiting to receive you back. You just come and say, Daddy, I blew it. I messed up. I need help. And he's right there with his arms open. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we again come to this point as we do so often and we're just totally amazed by you. Your word is so clear. Your promises are so amazing. Lord, your word tells us that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Your word tells us that you have already given us these amazing and magnificent promises. And your word says that your divine nature is available to us so that we no longer have to struggle with the lusts of the world. We no longer have to struggle in these things. So Lord, would you, would you search us? Would you go through us tonight? Lord, if there's anything in our lives that is not pleasing to you, we, just, we lay that down before you right now. you are here tonight, if I'm describing you earlier, you know, you know because the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now and you want to get things right, you want to get things set. 
It's a matter of just going broken in your heart before the Lord. And you just say, God, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe you died to save me. I believe that you paid the full penalty for my sin on the cross. What I have failed to do, you did for me. So I ask you to come into my life now and wash away all of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Give me that power, that divine power, so that I can walk in a manner pleasing to you. I thank you for the fact that that you desire to be my daddy. So I come to you now. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for the promises that we have and our desire is that your life would be manifest through us. So have your way in us, Lord Jesus.